Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, and the title of this teaching is called Learning from the Past. You know, and I want to ask you guys a question before we get started. It's simply this. How many of us have learned from past experiences? Anybody? Anybody? Yes. Right? We've learned something. Well, here's the next question. How many of us have not learned from our past experiences? My hand's right there. Because sometimes we don't learn from the past. And that's what we're going to see today in this passage You know, there are many people out there that know nothing about the Babylonians. They know nothing about this passage or even Daniel's prophecies, but they'll learn and they know the phrase that we're going to talk about today. And it comes from Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 5. And it talks about a hand or a finger that writes on the wall. It's an ominous warning and it's a prediction of bad luck. Have you ever heard that saying? The handwriting on the wall, right? If you've ever heard that and you've seen it, has there ever been good luck when they say the handwriting's on the wall? It's always bad luck, right? It's always something very ominous that's coming your way. And Daniel's going to interpret this handwriting on the wall. And he's going to inform this king that his days are numbered. And we're going to see a couple things in this passage. We're going to see this impending judgment of God because of this king's pride and the fact that he was mocking God. The city of Babylon, it boasted that it was unattackable. They were invincible, right? When we're younger, don't we think that way? Any of us? Yeah, when we were young, that's when we should be doing everything because we know everything, (laughs) right? We're invincible. Then the older we get, we find out that we don't know everything. And what this king knew, he knew that the army of the Medes and Persians were waiting outside the city gates. But it didn't matter to him. He was indifferent because of his pride. And he didn't care about the dangers that was out there. After all, his walls were very high. They were very thick. He had over 250 towers, which his army, which his soldiers could launch attacks and defend the city. But while this banquet was going on, he was not afraid of anything. He was confident and he was prideful because of their impressive defenses, and the fact that they had vast quantities of supplies and food. They said they had over 20 years worth of food there. And he's thinking to himself, why worry about the enemy? We have enough security and we have plenty to eat. This king was shown his apparent strength and his pride. What he was saying is why we don't need to fight And we don't need to fast in fear. All we're going to do is just feast. We have safety and we have security and we have food. So let's just feast. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, it says this. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This was a false sense of security. It was pride in himself. 
And unbelievers, they can also have that, and we can have this too. But unbelievers have this false sense of security. You know, in this present age, many people today have this idea that the best thing we can do, the best response that we can have towards dangers and things that are happening in our lives is to forget about them, escape, and enjoy earthly pleasures. They'll just go away. I'm going to enjoy my life right now. But here's the thing. The day of the Lord will catch unbelievers by surprise. As you will see, the day of the Lord will come and that Babylon's time had come. It was God's timing in his judgment. In Psalms 33.10, it says this, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. The will of God shall be done no matter what for his purpose and his glory. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this. For King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king, his nobles, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. As we know earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar had taken and conquered the city of Jerusalem, and he brought back these holy vessels. And we see these holy vessels come out in this feast. It's more like a drunken feast is what they were doing. And what they were doing, what he was doing was displaying his wealth and his splendor. He was saying, look at me. Have we ever seen that? Look at me. Look what I'm doing. It's all about me. A self-centered life. In 1 John 2.16, it says this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This feast, what was going on is just a glimpse of the world's system. What happens in our world? But most of all, what it was, it was a picture of the pride of life. It was the pride of life. If there was ever a man that was proud of his own achievements and relished in his own glory, it was this king. And this king, what he did, he was falling in love with the world and everything the world has to offer. And sometimes we do that. But what we need to do is we need to fall in love with the cross, fall in love with Jesus Christ. The first thing that this king did in this feast is he made a fool of himself. He lost his self-control by his arrogant and prideful behavior. Has anybody ever seen that? You ever seen that anywhere? He was drunk. 
And that's the problem that comes from worldly parties like that. The results are not good. With people saying and doing things they regret the next day. You ever done that? Been there? I know I have. And he gives these orders to bring out these goblets. Come on out here. We're going to use these. And what he's saying is bring those goblets out. We're going to just disrespect God. We're going to disrespect the God of these Jewish slaves. He was openly mocking God. And he committed the sin of sacrilege. And most of the time, people are not concerned with that today. They openly mock our God. It's a self-centered life that they lead. It's prideful. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had decreed that all the people would give respect to the God of Israel. In Daniel 3.29, it says this, Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save this way. It was a lack of respect because of his pride against God. But you know that last verse right there, it says, for no other God can save this way. Just for that statement alone, we could stop, right? Because our God is the only God that can save us. And we need to remember God's worth, word and the truth that it applies into our life. The reverence and fear that we have for God. Because he was drunk, wasn't he? He was drunk with pride. He did not learn from the past. You know, I heard a story this week. I want to share it with you. Hopefully I get it right. You never know. We'll see. But there was a pastor that went with two of his friends, and they were going hunting. Now, if you're up north, it's hunting. If you're down south, it's hunting. Okay? So they're, they're going hunting, right? They're going hunting, and all three of them are out there, and they see this big buck. And they all three took aim at it, and they shot it. And they hit it. But they didn't know which one had hit it. So they called the game warden over and they said, hey, can you help us out? We shot this buck, but we didn't know hit it. Can you tell us who shot hit it? So he's, I could do that. So he walks over there and he looks at it and he comes back and he goes, the pastor hit it. And they go, well, how do you know that? How do you know it was the pastor? He goes, because the shot went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> you know, Sometimes when it comes to God's word, that can happen to us, can it? And I believe that's why Jesus said, those that have ears, let them hear. And we need to hear the truth in God's word when it comes to pride in our lives. You know, this king was prideful and he was also felt entitled to things because of where he was. You know, I worked for Ring Power for years and one of the issues I had coming to the end of my career was when I hired people, right? I was hiring the younger uh, adults and that, and it was good, except for a couple things. We would tell them to do something, and they'd stop and go, you want me to do that? You go, yeah. And they go, well, if I'd have known I had to do that, I would have never done it. 
if you'd have known you'd had to work, you would have never taken this job. Is that what it is? <laughs> right? Because they feel entitled. And that's what this king was. He felt entitled. He was so proud, he felt entitled. What entitlement does is it feeds pride. But humility, when we have humility, we trust God in all circumstances. And we're grateful for what he does in our lives. And what he has provided for us. And what he has provided for us is salvation. And a relationship with him that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. And I've said this before. When we get to heaven, heaven is not the prize. The prize is Jesus. That's the prize. When we get to stand in the glorious presence of our Lord, that's the prize. But this king, what he was is so prideful. He was committing blasphemy against God. He was publicly declaring and mocking this God, our God, with impunity. And he gave himself this impunity, which was a right to mock God without any punishment or any fear whatsoever. What he was saying is, I'm in control. Any of you say that? Do we ever say that to ourselves? I do, all the time. I'm in control. This is my paycheck, right? Who gave you the gifts to earn that paycheck? It was God. God is sovereign, and he's in control. In Galatians 6, it says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If we sow to the flesh and we lead a self-seeking, self-centered life, but we do what we want in our desires, we will reap only one thing that the flesh can reap, and that's corruption. Because life has its natural consequences. And we can lead a self-centered, prideful life. Or we can lead a God-centered life of humility and glorify God in everything that we do. The king, this king had not glorified the one true living God. What he glorified was himself. And every creature is obligated to give glory to their creator. So we need to start serving the creator instead of the creation. To live a God-centered life, not a self-centered life. Remember, this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had to learn humility the hard way with years of insanity. How many of us had to learn humility the hard way? Anybody? I think we all have at one time. But God is sovereign and he's in control on the throne. People can defy the will of God and blaspheme his name for only so long. And then the hand of the Lord begins to move. Because if we're not humble, God will humble us. In verse 5, it says this. And suddenly... The finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. I think it's important that it, that lampstand, because it illuminates the light, it makes sure that everybody can see it. And it says, the king watched the hand as it wrote, 
His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking suddenly without warning. And God sometimes can catch our attention that way, can he? He can communicate through circumstances and people, and even in shocking and unexpected ways. What God had just done is he turned that banquet hall into a courtroom. And this king was about to be declared guilty. Without warning, the king sees these fingers writing on the wall because it was illuminated by this lamp and it inspired terror because he was a wicked king. Since man was placed on the earth, the triumphing of the wicked is short. In Job 24, verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 4, it says this, Surely you know how it has been from the old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? These words didn't apply to Job, but they definitely applied to this king Belshazzar. And they apply to anyone today who defiles and mocks the will of God. This king's arrogance and his pride would suddenly disappear. He turned pale and terror overcame him. It says his knees were knocking. I bet you at that point he didn't need any coffee to sober up, right? And I'll bet you another thing, he probably even soiled his royal robe. But the next thing he did was he cried out for help. And when we're fearful, what do we do? We cry out for help too. But the key is who we cry out to. Remember earlier, we remember Jesus. We cry out to him. But that's not what this king did. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he says, remember Jesus. It's important for each and every one of us that when we're going through the storms of this life and things are not going well, that we remember Jesus. He's first in our lives. We turn to the word of God and his power and strength, and we live by the promises in his word, not the explanations of the world. We live out God's word and we apply it in our life. And why? Because God is always pursuing us to have a love relationship with us. And why does God love us? Well, there's nothing in us that's lovable at all. He loves us because of Jesus Christ. Because what he did for each and every one of us. And may we never forget that. And always remember that Jesus died for our sins and that he saved each and every one of us that believe in him. And then verse 7, it says this. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold chains placed around his neck and will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. 
Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. This quaking king, faced with the mystery of this handwriting on the wall, immediately cried out and sent for his wise men. And what we see is this king learned nothing. He was, history was repeating itself. It seems that this king did not recognize the words on the wall. And his wise men were stumped as well. But one thing is for sure that this king's conscience knew that what he was doing was wrong. And that's why he had so much fear in his heart. And our conscience... This inner prompting that we have, the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us of our sin and when we're doing something wrong. And I believe that God deliberately did this, that no one could read it so they would, Daniel would be called in. Frightened people faced with life's mysteries often look for answers wherever they can find them. The time had come when political authorities, wealth and power and human wisdom could not do anything to solve this handwriting on the wall and there'll be a time where they can't solve our problems either. Why? Because not all sources are reliable. Not all sources are reliable. Our source is the word of God. That's our source. Bible stands for, very, very simply, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what this Bible does. It helps us. It instructs us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for Every good work, the ultimate source of our information is not human, but it's divine. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for us. It's profitable in many areas of our lives for teaching, for pointing out sin. It's useful for correcting our lives, to make adjustments in our lives. It's used to instruct people and tell them about Jesus Christ and to help them know God better. And how do we apply God's truth in our lives? By God's word. The word of God will help us live out God's truths and then we can become a source of godly wisdom to those around us. We need to be humble servants of our Lord. But now this, hor this horrified king promises wealth and prestige to anyone that can explain this writing. And this writing was the finger of God. The same finger that defeated the Egyptians when Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. The finger that wrote on the stone tablets and gave the Ten Commandments. Or what about remember the woman that was caught in adultery? When they brought her before Christ, they weren't looking for any justice at all. They were looking just to trap Jesus. And they asked him, so what do you say? What does the law say about this? 
And what Jesus did, it says he stooped down and with the same finger that wrote on those tablets, thou shalt not commit adultery. And the same finger that wrote on that wall, Jesus started writing in the sand. And Jesus said one thing. He said, those of you who were without sin, let him cast the first stone. And Jesus was very specific about that because if he would have said, hey, those of you who are without adultery, there could have been somebody there without adultery, right? Very easily that person could have been there. But here's the thing. We're all sinners, each and every one of us. And we have all fallen short of God's glory. And when he said that, they dropped the stones and they walked away one by one. And I believe he was writing their sins and a long list of sins. And he's written a long list of sins of mine and all of ours, each and every one of us. But here's the good news about those sins. That if we've accepted Jesus, we have received him into our life. Colossians 2.14 says this. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Amen? Amen. Our sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ. The very hand that wrote in the sand, that wrote on the wall, and that wrote against each and every one of us. And then it nailed those sins to the cross so that we could walk away in freedom and victory in Jesus Christ. Then Jesus says this in Luke eleven twenty, He says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's what was happening with this king. The finger of God was writing on the wall to this Babylonian leader. And that judgment was soon to come because the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then in verse 10 it says this. The queen hearing the voice of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshar, was found to have keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writings mean. She's saying, don't be alarmed, don't look pale. Things aren't as bad as they seem. Sometimes we can fool ourselves with that, can't we? Be an optimist. Oh, they're really not that bad. They're not that bad. Well, they are. They were that bad. Her attitude did not match up to the gravity of the situation that was going on. So she suggests that you call Daniel. The queen referred to Daniel by his Jewish name because she was showing respect for his faith and his background. And apparently Daniel wasn't called in this room with the rest of these guys. And what that shows us is that one of the characteristics of that king, besides being prideful, he was ignorant to the past. 
He was ignorant to past events that happened. I just can't imagine that he didn't know that Daniel was one of the highest officials in Babylon and certainly one of the wisest there. But here's the thing. So many times young leaders are so caught up in their pride and themselves and the present situation that they forget to catch up on the past. They forget to look at what brought them to where they are right now. And sometimes that can happen to us, can it? Because the scripture tells us the old man is gone, right? The old creation is gone. The new creation is here. Well, I can tell you one thing. That old man, he comes back. The old man comes back every now and then, doesn't he? But we have to remember who that old man is by remembering the past and know who we are in Christ. That's our identity, our new identity in Christ. And we need to know that. And by that, we get wisdom. And if we don't have wisdom, James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Every one of us that believes in Jesus Christ and trusts him, we can claim that promise that we can get wisdom from God's word. And then in verse 13, it says this, So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and understanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. They could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you keep your gifts, keep your swag. I don't want it. I don't need any of that. You give your rewards to somebody else. But nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. What a tragedy that this ruler did not know or he ignored Daniel, only to turn to him in the last hours of his life because he did not learn from the past. And what kept this king so busy that he did not know Daniel and that he did not know the one true living God? And I have a question for us. What keeps you so busy in your life that you don't have time to spend with God? That you don't have a relationship with God and that you're not spending time at his feet? Well, the answer, I believe, is in Mark 419. Because this king, he was motivated simply by position, possessions, power, and passions. He was too busy to spend time with our Lord. In Mark 419, it says this, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, Come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. When we chase the things of the world like this, 
we're going to be unfruitful. We won't have a relationship with God because it's a self-centered life. Do we ever get this way? Anybody ever get like that? You know, the older I get, I don't trust that saying that with age comes wisdom and that wisdom comes from our life experiences. Yes, we can get wisdom from our life experiences, but no matter our age, we need God's wisdom in our life. And Daniel had this wisdom and he had this knowledge and humility about him because he had a relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with God, we can hear his voice, that still small voice in a world that is loud and noisy and it's all about them. A self-centered world where we need to be a God-centered world. And Daniel now describes the writing on the wall. He was, this wasn't new for him because this was a fearful and frustrated ruler. He had incompetent advisors, and now Daniel was to the rescue. It's interesting because Daniel was probably 80 years old about this time, and he'd been out of the public eye for probably around 20 years or so. And he hadn't been in service to our Lord. He hadn't served the Lord. And sometimes I think we can get that way when we haven't done something for the Lord in a while. When God hasn't used us today or this week or even this month, sometimes we can panic and go, oh, Lord, where are you at? God's there. And how much better is it for us to realize that we're tools for God to pull out when he desires to use us for his purpose. It's his timing and not ours. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it says this, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. The servants of God are always available to respond to God's call in and out of season to accomplish whatever God desires. Our role is simply to be ready and available when he calls. And here's the thing about when God calls. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So when God calls you, he will equip you for what he's called you to do when he's called you to do it. Be ready in and out of season to serve our Lord. And Daniel, he had no interest in this personal or political power. And he wasn't interested in the money. He's basically saying, I'm not for sale. Daniel and his friends have always been like that. They always exercised humility and tact when dealing with these authorities from years before. In Titus 2.8, it says this, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be, may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Amen? God bless them. We need to have that soundness in our speech because soundness of speech is a standard equipment for an obedient servant that's seeking God in humility for his glory. Daniel says, keep your gifts, but I'm still going to tell you what this says. I'm going to tell you what it says. In verse 18, it says this, Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, 
All the nations and all the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Isn't it better to be humble than to be humbled by God? And then verse 20, it says this. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Our God is sovereign, and the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And our God is so gracious to each and every one of us that he gave us his son so that he could take away our sins. So that we can say in all things, whether the Lord is giving or the Lord is taking away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then verse 21, it says, He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kings on earth and set over them anyone he wishes. God is sovereign. And those who do not remember the past are sometimes condemned to relive it. The God of Israel is alone, the one true and living God. And he is sovereign, and he rules in all the affairs of this world, and he was included in the affairs of this great empire of Babylon. And then in verse 22, it says this, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from his temple brought into you, and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor God who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. The point here is that prideful people are not teachable. Prideful people are not teachable. Some people, that they show that pride because they're a man pleaser. Daniel was not a man pleaser. He was pleasing God, and in his humility, he was more concerned about what God thought and how he was going to please him. And church, we need to know that as well, because we need to speak the truth in love to someone, in humility, because it might be the seed that is planted that that person possibly gets saved. He said, you have not humbled yourself. He did not learn from the past. King Nebuchadnezzar showed pride by boasting about his achievements and taking credit for what God had accomplished. And he had to learn the hard way until he cried out in humility to God. Pride, being unteachable, always wants to look good to others. They always want to look good to other people. But God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And humility always does 
what is right. And now as we see history repeating itself, they're praising these idols and these gods of Babylon. And why would you do that? These idols can't do anything for them. But it was a self-centered life. It wasn't God-centered. Like King Belshazzar and his guests, many people in our world today are unmindful of the lessons of the past and totally unprepared for the consequences that lie in the future. In verse 25, it says this. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here's what these words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought you to an end. If you have, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel was able to interpret this warning to the king. Your days are numbered. God has determined that and established that your kingdom will end and it will happen shortly. You have fallen short. And the king's days were numbered. That last word, parson, was the answer. It was carries a double meaning, which means divided and Persia. And here's what happened. Daniel was promoted to the third highest ruler. But Daniel's position was only held for a few hours. And this shows how temporary the awards and the things of this world and the accolades of this world really are. Things here in this world are temporary. We need to be striving for the eternal. And Babylon that night would be divided between the Medes and the Persians who were at the gates that very night. You know, there are times when God gives a warning and he brings sinners to repentance. And there are times when his warnings are final and the divine judgment is determined. When God warned King Nebuchadnezzar about his pride and his unconcern for the poor, God gave him time to repent and seek God's forgiveness. Because sometimes ignorance is not rebellion. But when Daniel confronted Belshazzar, he offered him no way to escape of his pride and his sin. This king refused to humble himself and judgment fell. And God gives us that opportunity, doesn't he? He gives us an opportunity to repent of our sins. And he gives us grace and mercy. In James 4, 6, it says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. That's who our God is. He's a gracious God that shows us grace and mercy. God is sovereign. The lessons from the past were not learned by this king. And we need to remember our past so we know who we are in Christ. It's not who we were, but who we are now. And then verse 30, it says, That very night, 
Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That very night has a very ominous ring about it, doesn't it? The word of God was fulfilled just as Daniel said. God's word is truth. God's word is always reliable and true in our lives. And remember this, when it comes to pride and it comes to sinful behavior, Proverbs 29.1, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. God's judgment can be quick and it can be devastating. That night, one of the greatest military upsets in history was about to unfold. And the prophecy that was penned over 200 years before that came through as they came through the gates and they plundered the treasures. This mighty empire was about to fall. They diverted the river Euphrates a mile and a half up north and they went through the riverbeds to plunder the city. The world has always had great cities and its mighty empires and cruel and powerful dictators. But God still reigns in heaven and on earth and accomplishes his purpose for his glory. No nation, no prideful leader or individual can long resist our almighty God and win the battle. Belshazzar forgot the word of God and the lessons of history and he lost his kingdom and his life. And my prayer for us today is that we don't make those same mistakes. That we, don't, that we learn from our past mistakes. And we know that God's forgiveness is available for each and every one of us. But here's the thing. We have to make that choice. It's a choice that we each have to make to repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ into our lives. And bow our knees and surrender our lives to him. Come back to the one true and living God. Back to the heart of our worship, making Jesus first. It's about living a God-centered life, not being self-centered. And I want to ask you, do you have prideful aspects in your life that need to be surrendered to the Lord right now? You know, it's very simple. We can humble ourselves or God will humble ourselves for us. And we don't want God to humble us, do we? We want to come before him in humility. So I want to give you an opportunity today. You know, for believers, we believe in Jesus and we've received him and we've already experienced that judgment for our sins. It says that he paid the price and he nailed them to the cross. But some of us, like Belshazzar, have not repented and we're prideful. And the time of judgment will come and all this stuff will be replayed before them because God takes sin seriously. And if there's sin in your life and you need to repent or you need to change today, today is that day. I want to ask you, have your sins been forgiven? Have you put Jesus first in your life? I want to give you that opportunity today with our heads bowed. 
If there's anything that you need to leave right here today, right now, I want you to leave it here at the altar. Just raise your hand if that's you. If you have any sin, yes, thank you. If you don't have a relationship with our Lord and you have not had your sins forgiven and you want to repent, I want to give you that opportunity. Just raise your hands now. Yes, thank you. Give you a few more seconds. You know, it's time for us to get back to the heart of worship, making Jesus first in our lives, leading a God-centered life, not being prideful. That self-centered life is gone. That's the old man and old woman in us that are gone. We're a new creation in Christ. If you want to receive Jesus for the first time today, please pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for your son. I know I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sins, my prideful activities. I want to leave them all here right now. And I want to repent and turn and follow you all the days of my life. I believe that you died for my sins, and you rose and were victorious over the grave. And I want to follow you all the days of my life, and I want to come back to you and make you first in my life. I want to make you first in everything. Father, I love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.